they always are thinking, am I ready for this? Do I have the skills for this? Am I going to be good at doing this? And I think there's that hesitancy where you need someone behind. You need that sponsor to say, I believe in you and you can do this. And I think it does incredible things for people. When you're recognized for your abilities and you're truly given authentic appreciation and credit for what ideas you brought to the table. Addressing the patient experience without considering the employee experience is like measuring an iceberg by the 10% that sticks out above the sea. I'm Rebecca Corin, and this is Moments Move Us, a people-first podcast unlocking the power of meaningful moments by bringing you stories that inspire. Linda McHugh, Executive Vice President, Chief Experience and People Officer at Hackensack Meridian Health, understands that if you don't prioritize your people, encourage a growth mindset, and recognize their potential, innovation falls flat. Linda is passionate about taking a people-first approach to everything she does because her own journey has been shaped by mentors who saw in her potential, even when she didn't. As an administrator at the Cleveland Clinic, Linda's manager recognized something special in her and pushed Linda to take on an exciting, albeit intimidating, new role as Chief Human Resources Officer. And that's where we'll start our conversation today. Hi, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us today on Moments Move Us. Hi, thanks for inviting me. Happy to be here. I'd love for us to start off today's conversation hearing a little bit about your journey, which I know has taken a few turns over the years and would love to hear how you got to this moment. I think I probably have had a very untraditional career route for someone who is the chief people and experience officer. But I also think that my background prepared me to be able to understand what our team members are facing. So I started my career right out of college as a medical technologist in the laboratory working in microbiology. And I spent probably nine years in the lab, ending up as a supervisor there and decided that that couldn't be where I spent the rest of my career. I needed to interact with people. And I think I had learned all that I was going to learn there. And I like to consider myself a lifelong learner. So if I start getting bored, I'm looking for the next thing. And so I went back to school, got my MBA, and I was lucky enough that a few people took a chance on me and gave me the opportunity to go into leadership roles that I probably wasn't necessarily ready or qualified for yet, but had a great learning experience and great mentors and teachers that saw my potential and gave me opportunities on top of the first opportunity. And I ultimately ended up I'm managing several different hospital operations, physician practice operations, and ultimately ended up in a cardiac surgery with working directly with the chairman of cardiac surgery at the Cleveland Clinic to set up cardiac surgery programs, both within the state of Ohio and then nationally based on his real passion around making sure patients were getting the best care that they could give and knowing that we had the expertise to help 
different areas do that. And every hospital that we went into, we improved the care. So it really was a very rewarding role. And then ultimately he became the CEO and he made me basically his chief of staff. And I worked in that role and helped him actualize all of his ideas that he had over about 10 years to help grow the Cleveland Clinic. And he actually had suggested to me and had been talking to me about what's next? What do you want to do? What's your career aspirations? And I said, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. This is really fun. We did a lot of innovative things. We created a lot of programs. And our CHRO ended up leaving. It was probably our third or fourth one during his tenure. And he came into my office one Friday and said, Joe's leaving. I said, I know. I talked to the search firm. He's like, no. What do you mean? No. <laughs> he said, he thought of someone. <laughs> yeah. He said, I think you can do this job. We've been talking about what's next for you. We, I think you should do this job. And I was really hadn't even considered that as an option. Even though I had worked with the prior leaders in that area, on their reorg, on their technology implementation. And I knew them very well. I knew the area very well from the outside. And so I said, can I think about it over the weekend? <laughs> and I went home and told my husband and my husband said, are you crazy? The CEO is asking you to take an important job and he thinks you can do it. You'd have to give it a try. So I did. And I have to tell you, I loved it. I, it was I thrived in it. And I, my passion is always patients in the team members and the people that care for them and figuring out what's the best way we can support our team members so that they can provide the best possible care for our patients. And it's all interconnected. And that's why I'm really happy in this my current role at Hackensack Meridian Health that I have both the opportunity to influence the team member experience as well as the patient experience. Absolutely. Those things I feel like years ago were so unbelievably siloed. And even frankly, I think they've been siloed even up until very recently. And one of the things I think COVID did was it was like, it came down as a result of the pandemic. Like we cannot look at these two things separately when they are just so interconnected, like you said, to address patient experience without looking at the team member and vice versa is basically just looking at what's at the top of the iceberg and not everything below the surface. And so as you have thought about HR and how has it evolved and you think about some of these breaking down of silos, and frankly, I think about your background and how diverse it is in coming into this work, but how holistic the approach really is. So of course, there's so many elements that kind of fit into it. How do you see HR now in healthcare? What is the role of HR in healthcare and how has it evolved to this point? And maybe where is it going? Because I feel like it's only just started to really start to impact in the way that, that it can. Oh, totally. I think that we have to be partners, uh, strategic partners with our frontline caregivers and their leaders to really understand what their needs are and how we can help them grow and thrive. So it's not the traditional HR personnel employment issues. It's really what obstacles can we remove? What systems can we put in place to improve your work-life balance as well as provide flexibility and provide the right benefit structure, whether it's compensation, whether it's time off, it's 
saving for retirement. And people at different times in their life have different priorities. The other thing we've been looking at is loan forgiveness and tuition reimbursement in a new way. So how do we provide the full spectrum from beginning to end? So certificates, associate degrees, bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, and even advanced PhD, DNP, doctorate of education, and really do that in a way that they don't take on major debt. And so we partnered with our current tuition assistance provider to provide some debt-free degrees with online organizations, and we really want to expand that. And then in addition, as a recruitment and retention tool, so many people are coming out of college with high debt, including nurses. How can we help them with some type of loan repayment or loan forgiveness program? And we also are instituting a scholarship program for nurses, particularly advanced or accelerated BSN. So someone that might have a degree, but it's not in nursing and wants to go back. We have an 18-month accelerated program that they can go through that we will pay for on scholarship. So it's really trying to meet them where they're at to help them grow either in their current job or for their next job, but stay with us. Exactly. And I think what's so important about that is too, you're learning from your team members. Where are you going? Like, where do you want to go? I think so many times I think in the past, we're like, you're doing a great job in this role. Just stay doing this role because it's going great for you. It's hold on. That's not necessarily what that person's aspirations are. Or I also think about, and I know this isn't in the education context, but I think about you and you mentioned earlier on that folks ride you for some roles that you said you weren't ready for. I'm curious about (laughs) what you meant by that, because I have a feeling that also this tuition reimbursement program, which sounds fantastic, is also an opportunity for people to be like, am I ready to get that next degree, that certification? Can you share a little bit about why you thought you weren't ready? It's funny because I've read so much about there's this new imposter theory out there, but I think that it's endemic in women in particular that they always are thinking, am I ready for this? Do I have the skills for this? Am I going to be good at doing this? And I think there's that hesitancy where you need someone behind, you need that sponsor to say, I believe in you and you can do this. And I think it does incredible things for people when you're recognized for your abilities and you're truly given authentic appreciation and credit for what ideas you brought to the table versus them being attributed to the person you brought them to. And that that was many of the leaders that I've worked for have been really good at that. The favorite people I've ever worked for have always given me credit for when it was something that I brought to the table or that I implemented in a way that it was successful. But then on the flip side, too, when something didn't go as planned, gave me the opportunity as a learning and growth to say, okay, that didn't work out. Let's pivot and try something different. Absolutely. It's so funny that you bring up sort of growth mindset in conjunction to feeling seen and having opportunities to grow. And then I think about this all in conjunction to the sort of the tuition piece. How do we cultivate growth mindset in healthcare right now? This is where we've been talking about individual attention. So having that individual conversation 
that says, what are your, and you mentioned it, aspirations, and what's your individual development plan? There may be people that are happy with what they're doing, but I think sometimes you have to push and tell them what the possible is, particularly if you see potential in them to do more or to grow even in what they're doing currently. So say they're a nurse on the floor that might be really good at at identifying issues that others don't. They may make a great ICU nurse and you could say, have you thought about going to the ICU? Have you thought about some of the skills that you wanna grow outside of what you're currently doing that might enhance your practice and be job satisfaction for you? So I think having those individual conversations is what we've been talking with our leaders about in our coach model. So the leader as a coach, that's part of their job is identifying those strengths and then leveraging them and helping that team member grow and focus on their strengths. So a strength-based model is just, I think, the best thing for anybody in anything. You always like to do the things that you're good at. Absolutely. I don't know why it took so long for strength-based model to become so more normally accepted. And it's interesting because you think about, especially in a healthcare experience, and I talk about this a lot with folks, it's like when we fail, there's a lot of hesitancy for failure, of course, because do no harm. There's major consequences potentially in a healthcare experience to take certain types of risks. Now, that being said, there are a lot of areas where we can take risks and we can fail and we can iterate and the consequences aren't a life and death situation. How do you build environments where people feel comfortable to do that? Because you, sh- I love how you just shared, like you were given opportunity, some of them you really excelled at and people gave you credit for that. And then there were times when things didn't go as planned and that was okay too. And that didn't discourage you. Right. So how do we transform healthcare cultures to allow people to fail? And that is at the exact basis of high reliability. So we've been focusing on creating a highly reliable organization and the basics of it is psychological safety. So making it safe for someone to speak up if they see something or if they want to stop something from happening to speak up or to report it after the fact so that we can learn from it. And so we've just been working on Create, we're doing a high reliability training for all of our leaders, but we are also working on creating what we're calling a good catch program and a good catch awards. So, really, storytelling is so powerful. Telling the stories about team members that have spoken up and prevented harm to a patient or to a coworker, even. Because as we talk about anxiety in the workplace, anxiety in society that's been escalating, the US Task Force on Prevention just came out recommending that physicians screen anyone under the age of 65 for anxiety when they're having their annual physicals. It's just escalated and has turned in some cases into violence in the workplace, in society. So making sure that people speak up if they see something that's just not right, whether it's in care that's being provided or in behaviors that they're seeing. And so we're really excited to launch this Good Catch program And our goal is to provide awards, like capture all this data and then provide awards and rewards to the team members that do come forward. 
Yes, absolutely. It's interesting to think about like great catch and how that has evolved over the last couple of years. And we had this big case and I think nurses are scared and in some ways, rightfully so. So how do you promote speaking up. And to your point of speaking up, it's also connected to what you were saying about sort of violence against caregivers that exist too. And it's sad to see how much it's increased. So healthcare has never been, I think, more complex than it is today as in terms of the challenges. Like our industry has just been through a lot. And when you think about like workplace violence, like you shared and distrust from the community paired with coming off of a pandemic and just the exhaustion that's going on. It's a place that is so beautiful, but has really been tested. So I guess I, I'm curious, how do you create these sort of, how do you create an environment where people do feel empowered to speak up? You shared like recognition, awarding, really focusing on the stories. I imagine that in those stories, it comes out about the person's own experience of it and what happened there and maybe how that could be a learning as well. I'm curious about a little bit more about how you promote that in light of everything going on. It has to be consistent, transparent communication and the same message, right? So not a different message, always the same message. And it's amplified with the stories. It truly is anything that takes hold is about consistency. And it's about empowering local leaders to celebrate those moments when the good catch happens, whether it's on a unit during the huddle the next day that they celebrate that team member, because appreciation, recognition, saying thank you, whether it's for something really good that happened or for catching something before something bad happened, are so powerful on loyalty and just someone's outlook for the day. Oh, yes. I couldn't agree more. And I think what you're getting at is, is it's not just a one-time, like, great job, you did it. It's the cycle of support and community and connection and feeling everybody rally around you. And that's where you feel held by your organization. And that's where you want to do it again, because you feel like you could do it again. And you have the support of your peers and your leaders. So I think I think that is a really beautiful thing. And that's why culture is so powerful. And everyone talks about culture, especially now, like culture has never been, I think, more top of mind for CEOs, CFOs. Can you, like, can you imagine when did we last year CFOs talking about culture? Now it's like a, it's top of mind for people because I think that folks know if we don't have the culture that we want to espouse, we're not going to be able to retain the talent that we need. We're not going to be able to attract it. And frankly, the quality and safety and all of our objectives will not be able to be met. So it's all connected. You don't want them quietly quitting. You want them to stay and you want them to be engaged and you want them to be an ambassador so that when you do recruit, people stay. So true. So when you think about right now, we're coming out, we're post-pandemic. People have said we're post-pandemic. I know it's controversial. I'll say we're in the aftermaths of the pandemic and the industry has shifted. When you think about where we're going as an industry from an innovation perspective, from a human perspective, what are the big themes that you're thinking about and how does your sort of work? And I think about, especially the patient experience, and the team member experience connecting, how does that influence the future for us? I've really been thinking about how do we leverage technology, any kind of digital interaction with our patients and technology to support the bedside caregiver, as well as really being flexible 
in how we do scheduling, whatever obstacles they have in front of them, how can we be more flexible in how we resolve things and reduce the bureaucracy and the inefficiency in the operations? Whether it's with the electronic medical record, which is a huge efficiency ultimately for the patient and for the care in the long term. But once you're when it's new and you're just getting to learn it, there's a learning curve and there's optimization that we still are in the midst of. But ultimately, leveraging technology so that we can communicate with the patients, provide them easier access, and get them to the place and time of care that we need, they need at that point in time. And so we're going to pilot a, starting I think next month, a virtual nursing program to supplement the care that's provided at the bedside. There will be a nurse that will come through a monitor in the patient's room to talk through admission, to talk through the plan for discharge so that we're communicating constantly with the patient about what the plan of care is and what's going to happen day one, what we're and based on that, what we're going to do day two. And so we're setting ourselves up to have constant communication in one form or another, whether it's digital or whether it's in person and figuring out what the patient's preferences are. So it's like a, almost a healthcare CRM, like how Salesforce is. But figuring out what they want, right? And how do we use technology to get there so that when Mrs. Smith calls the call center, they know that she's hard of hearing and this is her primary care and she likes to be seen on Tuesdays, right? So all of that is, I think, what the future of a personalized care experience looks like that then eases the burden on the caregivers. That is fantastic because I think about responsiveness. And of course, one of our major domains is we, that we're measured on is responsiveness. Responsiveness means different things to different people. We know responsiveness is like when I want information or something, did you get it to me when I wanted it, which is typically immediately. So regardless of what it is, I want it now. So that's like responsiveness. But when you think about the power of this sort of virtual nurse program where you have the ability to have that communication, people feel a sense of safety where it's like, I can ask a question and then have this sort of feeling of, I don't know what's going to happen next. And someone can quickly come to my to my side or that moment my family is here in person. My family's asking me what's going on and I'm a patient. I may have no idea. I may not be able to communicate what's going on. And now to include them, that builds so much trust, I feel like, because the time lags we have in healthcare for responsiveness, it's not for lack of wanting to respond. I think a lot of times patients and families are not clear on why things take so much time, but it doesn't really matter why, because it's still impacting their experience. That's exactly right. The care team should be talking and figuring out what's next. And I think that's started something called multidisciplinary rounds, which translates into communicating to the patient and family what the plan of care is. But it includes all of the team that's involved in the care of that patient. And there may be consultants, physicians, multiple disciplines, social work, care management, but that they convene every day and discuss the plan. Couldn't be more important to have that type of interdisciplinary communication teamwork. I think that's the most important thing. It's also one of the most frustrating things for a patient when they're asked the same thing over and they're just like, didn't you speak to that person who was just in here 10 minutes ago? That's a big challenge. But I like how you were taking it even farther. You were saying like, not only are we going to do that, but we're going to find out 
This person likes to be seen on Tuesdays. This person sleeps with two pillows, not just for therapeutic purposes, but we need to know this. Or this person's favorite drink is a Coca-Cola. They know they're not allowed to have it, but they have it once a week. And we need to know that. The ultimate vision to get there. That's where we'd like to get, right? And figure out what technology is available to get us there. We have so much tech that's available now on the consumer side. People know everything about consumers, the way you're marketed to, applying some of that into healthcare where people could really know you, not in the creepy Instagram way where you get an ad that's a little too targeted to what maybe you're looking for just generally in the world. Like I know I was speaking to a friend and and her daughter has an interesting name. And all of a sudden on Instagram, I got an ad for jewelry with the same name. And I was just like, that's a little much. But think about the benefits of applying something like that in a healthcare experience where you tell something someone one time and then a hundred people know about it. That sounds like nirvana. But you mentioned something about teams. And I think when I think of healthcare, healthcare is the ultimate team sport. And it's almost a team of teams taking care of that patient and sharing information because it's key for everyone to be on the same page about what's next. Hackensack Meridian Health is known for doing unbelievable work in culture and experience and so many things. And you have had an amazing sort of track record of bringing innovation in the roles that that you've been in previously. When you think of your work now, what makes you feel that you're living your purpose? Is there any moment that has happened over the last 12, 24 months that has sent you a signal of, Linda, you're doing the right thing. This is why you're here. I've gotten a couple notes from different team members, one just recently who had a a serious medical condition in her family. It wasn't her. And it was just so heartwarming about she, and it was long, but she went through all the care that she received, how wonderful it was. But then she ended it by saying, and on top of all of that, my family member is doing better, but I did not get a bill because our health insurance is so well constructed that I used all of the HMH resources that were available to me and understood what that was. If I didn't have this health care at this level, I don't know what I would have done because I couldn't have afforded it somewhere else. And so it was both sides, right? Like a great experience, a great outcome. And the benefit that we provided her through the medical plan made her feel financially safe. So it was like, okay, this hit all the bells and whistles. It's like a full (laughs) circle. It's amazing. It does. It really, it shows you that all the work that you're doing, and it also really connects back to what you were saying about this holistic approach to experience and how we look at experience. Wow. That's really powerful. I think a lot about some of the things you were sharing earlier about professional development and where people are going in their career and working top of their license and how we help people get there. We do have numerous stories of team members who started out as patient care technicians and then now are ICU nurses or working on their master's in nursing. And they've been with us the whole way and we've supported them along the way. And the loyalty and gratitude that they never thought they'd get there and how we supported them are also wonderful stories. So seeing growth, and though we need to keep telling those stories more often because that also, when people see people that look like them, that have made that leap, they say, if she did it, I can do it too. Yes, so true. So then elevating those stories. 
Have you all done work around elevating the stories of folks who have gone through these programs and what the impact has been? We do. Each one of our hospitals has a weekly pulse that they send out, which is a newsletter. And we often in there highlight stories for of our team members. You have done an amazing job at HMH with a storytelling component. And I feel like storytelling, it's such a rich sort of fabric that we can pull from in, in so many ways. And of course, it's age old. Like I think about my grandparents and stories they told me of back in the day, and, and they still apply today. These stories, they live on. And I think you can really see yourself in a story. When you think about the future, let's say we're five, 10 years down the road, maybe more, what do you think is going to be the story of COVID? and how we got through it. I think the sting of how hard it was in the beginning will never go away because we lost so many people. And I think like 9-11, which I hate to compare it to that, but it was a loss of people in a sudden way, unexpected and sudden way. And then I think we'll remember that it was really hard and we were praying for a solution and the solution came and the majority of the people came on board and we solved it. We lived through it. We improvised, we innovated, we figured out how to get through it and how to take care of people and how to improve the outcomes even before we got the vaccine. And I think the anger that happened after the fact of people not being vaccinated and then getting sick and showing up in the hospital will fade because I think people have I don't want to say developed a tolerance, but I think it is somewhat of a tolerance of choice, right? So some people made that choice, even though it impacted the healthcare providers because they had to still take care of them and their families because some of them did die. But I think that it'll be a sorrow, but also proud innovation and that we got through it. So the resilience that it built in people Like if I got through that, I can get through anything. I think about the resilience a lot and the mental and physical toughness that people, I feel like just thinking about nurses are one of the toughest groups of people I think that exist. And when you think about the mental toughness and also just the emotional sort of ability to manage all of this, you mentioned it before, nurses, they're caretakers in a lot of different ways. They have their families, their parents, their kids, they're in the middle. They're the caretakers of everybody. Pretty much they come to work. They're the, they're the quarterbacks of the care in so many ways that they are the center in a lot in these circumstances. And you think about how tough it really was, but that they got through it. And now I feel like the nursing community has really come together as a force. And you're right, the innovations and the changes, those have happened and they're going to be even more explosive over the next several decades. And I'm excited to see what happens as a result of it, because when you have a coming together, even if it is around a trauma, which definitely it has been, There's a lot of beauty and positivity that will come from it over time for all of us, I think, in healthcare, but I think especially for nurses. I don't know if you had the opportunity to watch our Unmasked series, but we really wanted to give our caregivers the opportunity to voice what they went through and how they felt, like to put into words their feelings so that we preserved that for the future so that people understood what it was like and how they felt. And it gets back to the storytelling. Unmasked, I think, did an amazing job of for people sharing what they went through so that the viewers could feel that 
And I think it also softens the community of folks who maybe have distrust for the health system in different ways to really understand what actually did happen. Like I remember there are a number of people that were saying that COVID doesn't exist at some point, like throughout the pandemic it was almost like mind blowing, but to see the experiences on people's faces and what they did and when they went home and how that impacted them. It tells a really important story. Yeah. And really, I'm glad that we had the opportunity to let them tell their story themselves, because I think it's so important, like I said, for preservation for the future, because there are nurses coming in now who didn't go through what they went through that have the opportunity to understand what it felt like. That is so powerful because I think about generational knowledge and how we did have, a, we had a lot of people retire during COVID and just after. And I think about what you just shared, like sharing those videos, having people really feel what their colleagues went through, just not even a year and a half ago, what that was like. So that when you get in, you can relate to them. You can connect in such a deeper way. Now we've, I don't know if you've seen any of our new videos. We are now re- focusing and saying we're ready to take care of the complex issues people have out there. And that's our tagline now. We're ready. We're ready. I love that. That gets you excited. Yeah. Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm in. Linda, was there anything else that you wanted to share today? Oh, I just appreciate the opportunity and appreciate all that you've done to help support us along the way for our our showing a recognition and appreciation to our team members certainly have been a great partner to us. So thank you for that. It's my pleasure. Our partnership together between Wambi and you have been unbelievable and we've loved every minute of it. Now we usually transition into a speed round of our podcast where I ask a few undocumented questions. <laughs> unprepared. And this helps our listeners get to know you, Linda, a little bit better. So we'll kick it off with first question. Linda, what can you be found doing on the weekends when you're not working? Usually shopping or in the city eating. <laughs> I, okay. So food shopping or clothes? Clothes. Both. Okay. Shoes, purses. I have way too many. My husband said, ask how many pairs of black shoes do you really need? I said, that's not a question. <laughs> There's not a limit. <laughs> There's, exactly. Is it rhetorical? There's no answer to that. <laughs> I love it. And so you love to go into the city. Yeah. So we're actually going in tomorrow for the feast. So we'll eat some good Italian food. What's your favorite spot? Oh my gosh. I love Soho. I usually always find my way down there, but when we do brunch, there's so many spectacular places to eat in New York city. We try not to go to the same place. I know because you just can't, you can't go wrong. I feel like, but then once you find an amazing one, you want to go back, but there's just too many more to try. Yes. I had the same experience. I lived in New York for college and I had a budget. So every, like a $15 and under budget. And so I really explored the cheap eats, New York cheap eats. <laughs> now we try to find like the off the beaten path ones too. Those are the best. I love that. Linda, are you a sports fan at all? I used to be a Browns fan, but now I'm a Giants fan. Oh, okay. So is that part of your move? The Browns made some decisions that I've not exactly approve of. I hear that. And since HMH is a sponsor of the Giants, I thought I'm right here. We've gone to a few Giants games. They've been really fun. That's so much fun. Yeah. 
And Linda, a question for you. If you could be doing anything else besides what you're doing now, and it can't be in the healthcare field, it has to be outside, what would you be doing? Something in fashion. Like what? I wish I had, I could draw. I would love to design dresses, like evening dresses. I love that. First of all, I have a coloring book that I'm definitely going to have to get you. It's like, it's like a fashion coloring book where you can like design dresses and you don't have to be a good drawer because I'm not. And it's so much fun. When I was in high school, I designed costumes for the plays and it was, I felt like a fashion designer. It was one of my favorite things from growing up. So I'm with you on that. It looks so fun. So much fun. I love that. Who's your favorite designer? I love Christian Serrano. Ooh, okay. I love how he dresses celebrities of all sizes and they always look spectacular. All sizes and ages, right? Yes, absolutely. I agree. I didn't know this about you, Linda. This is why I love this section (laughs) of our conversation. All right. And last question. If you had a magic wand, what would your first wish be? That no child went hungry. I'm here for that. That's beautiful. So important. And so in, in conclusion for today's conversation, I just want to thank you so much for everything. Really appreciate you being on the show. And I'm so inspired by you and your work and innovation and ability to take risks, which I think is just so admirable. And I want more risk-taking in our industry, safe risk-taking. Absolutely. And we're never going to advance and be innovative if you don't take risk. Couldn't agree more. And it's funny because growth mindset is now being taught in second grade. Apparently my son is in second grade and he's learning about growth mindset. And I'm happy about it because he doesn't like to do things that he's going to fail at. So we need to push that. Yeah, that's great. Every morning you got to get up and remind yourself, stay in the growth mindset today. Love it. I'm going to add that to my morning affirmations. That's great. Thank you so much, Linda. All right. It was great talking to you. The future of healthcare innovation relies on our ability to help people see the potential in themselves. I'm Rebecca Corin. Thanks for listening to Moments Move Us. Remember, when you put people first, your actions can move others in unexpected ways. Be sure to follow wherever you get your audio.